the right to be violent. Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the 2022 Oscars was met by three different responses. The first response was by people who reject any and all reasons for violence. This is a small group. Others agreed the violence was wrong but qualified the statement. Will Smith, this group thought, was justified in this particular instance of violence because his wife was not amused by the joke. Upsetting a wife justifies men committing a violent act against another man or men, according to many persons in this second group. But if a joke justifies violence, then violence is justified. The third group is the second group with the rationalization eliminated. What we want to look at in this essay is when violence is justified and what justifies violence. Needless to say, we do not think a negative response to a joke rises to the level of a justification for violence. The interesting point is knowing we all say violence is wrong, but even so, few persons are comfortable with condemning violence unconditionally. We all want to leave the option on the table. It does not take much effort to think of situations which require a violent response even from those opposed to violence. That many have sought to justify violence by reference to a man's duty to protect the honor of his wife is intriguing in this day in which toxic masculinity is decried and feminism exalted. What happened to the strong, independent woman? Why did Jada not go and slap who needed to be slapped and tell Will to remain seated? There is a tension between different rights. The right to be free from assault becomes a problem in a culture which views words as violent. When expressing an opinion is considered a form of aggression, how does society mediate between those who tell jokes and those who slap the joker? We say violence is wrong, but we never mean it. We mean violence is wrong when not justified. Those who claim violence is wrong are virtue signaling. Those who claim words have consequences, virtue signal. What violence is and what justifies it changes from person to person and from time to time. One's response to a situation depends on the signal we think our actions are sending to the world. The observer sees things differently from those involved in a confrontation. The ones involved in a fight have different interpretations on what started the fight. The response of people varies over time as emotions subside. What we say about an incident changes as what we want people to think about what happened changes. Human emotions are not a stable platform on which to build a moral framework. No one means it when they claim they support free speech. This is not to say some people have a higher tolerance for the speech of others than still others do. But there are people who think words can be so hateful, a sentence can be the same as a physical assault. There are some words that have become so negatively weighted, one can only allude to them. Imagine if you will a race of people who are so traumatized by the full spelling of a word, they need to be kept under a state of protective custody? Regardless, at some point we will all be brought to the point where we realize there is some speech that must be canceled. 
Even now there are many advocates of free speech, working on legislation that will prevent teachers from grooming preteens. No matter how liberal one thinks one is and how pro-liberty one wants to be, there are people who will exceed what you are prepared to tolerate. If violence is wrong, how can words that are violent or that advocate violence be permitted? Can we openly advertise for a hitman or for help in conducting an insurrection? Can we post the addresses of judges and openly sell people's private information, including access codes to private information? Indeed, if anything is a source of problem for the U.S., it is its constitution. Absolute rights that cannot be contravened benefit many persons, and they provide real protection against oppressive governments. This does not mean there is not another side to the issue. But what if the Constitution permits us to say in full, without beeping it out or using some other forms of censoring, a word that causes trauma and mental distress? Remember when, as a child, your schoolmates would taunt you with a word that caused you distress? How do we permit words with the potential to cause psychological trauma to be said over and over, with the intention of causing distress? Ought they not to be expunged from dictionaries and our language? Is it possible to eliminate hateful words from our collective memory so no one even knows the word used to exist? If society can be torn apart by questions regarding the right to speak a word, how do we come to terms with the larger questions of free speech? Does free speech permit someone to scream obscenities at children? Can we preach hate against another group or even call for acts of violence to be done on an individual or group? Does the right to bear arms permit gangs of youth to enter a dance hall armed? Even the right to vote has proved to be a controversial right. Voting is not just about marking a ballot. There are questions about where each person is permitted to vote. There are issues concerning what issues we can vote on. Who decides who we can vote for during an election? What restrictions and limitations are justified on who votes and how we vote? In reality, there is no unrestricted right to vote. The right to vote misrepresents the real situation. We have been given the contingent freedom to vote at certain times, for certain people within certain specified places, according to specified procedures. Voting is akin to a ceremonial occasion, full of pomp and procedure, but in the end, voting is an act that has little importance. The right to vote as with all other rights, is a right highly regulated and constrained to ensure the outcome is within the acceptable margins. The people cannot be permitted to vote in a government that might change things. We have a right to defend ourselves, and according to some, we have a right to defend the honor of our wives. The fact that liberals accept that it is the man who must respond to the woman's grievance is notable. What about the honor of the man? Why is the protection of honor sexually dimorphic? Surely, the issue would be clearer had Mrs. Smith stepped forward and slapped Rock herself. Perhaps Rock could have prepared himself better had an outraged Mrs. stormed the stage. Rights are misunderstood 
if they suggest a freedom or possession that has no limitations or boundaries. Possibly the problem is that our language wants to make rights appear as if they were something from God. We are, by law, physical beings. We have, legally, a physical identity. It is logically incoherent to attach unbounded qualities to an identity created by a state. Even the right to life is an odd right to give to a creature that exists only under the law. If we are physical beings, how can we have rights? Rights only exist for legal beings which are creatures governed by a state. We are not talking about rights for a spiritual being when we speak about human rights. Our rights are the rights of a creature that was created by an act of parliament, the same way a corporation is created. In fact, subjects are corporations in the eyes of the law. Do corporations have absolute rights or legal rights? What does it mean for a creation of the state to have rights? Whatever rights they have are by definition legal rights. They are rights given by law. Without the state your rights would vanish. The right to be violent does not exist because you are not your own person. The state is protecting its property and its interests, and its property includes all other subjects as well as you. At the same time the state is not prohibited from committing acts of violence for the same reason, it needs access to the tools of oppression to protect its interests and maintain its property. Which means the individual has a right to be violent when acting in the interests of the state, as in the role of policeman or military personnel. This same individual has no right to be violent when acting in his own interests. However, our moral rights and our legal rights are not compatible or identical. It does not always suit the state if we are violent, nor does it suit the state if we have chosen to be nonviolent. The state is not against violence. It is against violence directed towards other interests but its own. There is a higher moral principle than encompassed by the state, which is why the state subscribes to an ethical code instead of a moral one. Ethics are opinion enshrined in law and regulated by an oppressive organization, such as the state. But even religious orders such as the Jesuits fall into this same pattern. All organizations are ethical in their construction because they all create legal systems for their members to follow. But following an ethical code does not make one moral, it only makes one a law-abiding person. But then all this means is that one is a subject of the state in good standing. One version of the moral imperative is that we must be of use. Good persons must have utility. This version is too easily corrupted and the adherent exploited. A better version of the first order principle is, do not waste. Violence then is moral or immoral depending on the situation we are in. If someone is about to kill you, it is moral to defend yourself or anyone else who is about to be victimized. Self-defense is a prevention of waste. We have, we can say, a greater right to be violent to others who threaten us than others have a right to victimize us. P. 
People never acquire a right to waste us or our potential nor the things we are accountable for. We have a right to stop waste or reduce it if waste is not preventable. If preventing or reducing the waste requires an act of violence, then the value created or saved legitimizes the violent action as it legitimizes all other actions.